Oh, what makes that even funnier is if you uh, know the S.M. Lockridge uh, message on uh, Do You Know My King? And uh, so that's a spoof off of that, but uh, that's my money. Well, guess what? You came on a very special day that some people probably chose not to show up for once we advertised what it was about. But uh, we are in a series called Money, Sex, and Power, Sacred Gifts, or Toxic Idols. We have spent two weeks laying some of the foundation for the whole understanding of why such a series is important to us, and uh, we've used actually the last two weeks this quote by Richard Foster that says, no issues touch us more profoundly or more universally. No themes are more inseparably intertwined. No topics caused more controversy. No human realities have greater power to bless or to curse. No three things have been sought after or more in need of a Christian response than money, sex, and power. So today, we are stepping in to a bit more of a consecrated uh, uh, discussion on the subject of money. And the subject of money is not one that you or I should be apprehensive about because it consumes our life. Do you know that Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he did about heaven? It was in more than half of his 30-some parables had to do with possessions and money. And so for us not to look at it in a, a consecrated, a concerted kind of way as believers in Christ, or even if you're just checking out God today, we would be amiss in doing so. But I tell you what, when you start to talk about the subject of money, some people, including myself, start to say, hey, wait a second, don't you be meddling now talking about my life. You can talk about some other safer subjects but what about the subject of money? Well, money, as uh, we will see, and as uh, that verse was mentioned there, you cannot serve both God and money. Actually, the verse originally, that word money is a broader term. It's called mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon, which means uh, the pursuit of uh, material wealth and well-being. This subject that we've been covering um, the last two weeks has laid this foundation concerning the subject of gifts versus idols. In Romans 1, verse 21, and it's our context, we labored there a bit more intently last week. We're going to do so even in a greater way in a couple weeks when we get to the subject of sex and sexuality. But in Romans 1, 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Darkness comes in any of our lives if we do not rightfully place God where he needs to be. Giving him not just thanks but worshiping him and seeking to live for him because he made us and he made all this world. And so Paul is looking on the culture of his day. And the culture of his day had moved to a lot of uh, decadence in many ways. And he describes it in the first part of Romans uh, so profoundly. And you're going like, oh, man, that's terrible. You know, we look around in our culture today and a lot of times we think, oh, how uh, bad are some of the trends and what's going on. Friends, nothing's new since the beginning of time. 
you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the temptations that Satan brought to mankind continue to work their way. The sinful nature of the heart after the fall continues to work its way generation and generation, time and time again. Many people would describe us as uh, uh, we were born to be a Christian nation, but we've really never fully been a Christian nation. There was establishment of Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian principles, that kind of thing, but we as believers in Christ have always been in a minority, pushing back all the way back to Jesus in Jerusalem. That was not a Christian city either. And Paul, when he was speaking to those Christians who were in Rome, was like, that's definitely not a Christian city, even though the Christian movement made a powerful impact in toppling Rome in part, along with some other things, um, uh, decades and, and centuries later. But Paul, he was giving acknowledgement of the way the world is. And in this series, we have to rightfully give that acknowledgement, not just of our world, but of our own personal lives. And is this true of our personal lives that's stated here? That although we know God sometimes, we do not really glorify Him as God, or we don't give thanks to Him. You've chosen to come and worship Him today, and beautiful singing together of Messiah and worshiping Jesus. But that's not often a part of our day. We're not waking up, as Melissa said, in the first thing in the morning to open God's Word and be able to get our focus set on truth. We just go about the day. We got to get the kids to school. We got to get ourselves ready to go to work. We got to make things happen. And then you come home and, and you do it all over again, right, for the next day. We can easily slide into darkness. We can easily slide away from the heart of God if we do not properly place Him where He needs to be. And so this subject of money, sex, and power, sacred gifts, or toxic idols is dealing spot on with what he's saying here. But then what did he say in the next verse as he started to roll it out? He said, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Well, those people in that day, they were so naive to worship birds and animals and reptiles. Well, what did we talk about last week? We talked about that it doesn't matter what the idols are, whether they're wooden statues or stone statues or graven images of metal. It's what's behind it all that people are going after. And the goddesses and the gods of that day represented the same things that we're dealing with today. And those things aren't just money, sex, and power. It can be fame. It can be the family importance. And even family is important or experiencers or leisures. We've established this forthright statement. We either worship God in this life or we find our ultimate and find our ultimate delight in him or we exchange god for the worship of something else i don't know what's fully in the heart of god i know how he's made me in his image and if i have someone who is supposed to be loyal to me or is supposed to be loving to me and they walk away from that relationship, that loyalty, they break. That love, they damage or they discard. It's hard. All of us in here have had those kinds of experiences where there is hurt. 
there is brokenness in our life. And God, as He watches those whom He created, myself included, He's wanting us to glorify Him. But we not only sometimes dismiss Him and ignore Him, and this is what I think would be harder in His heart, we exchange Him for something else. You ever go through a breakup in your early years, or maybe that's you're courting somebody today and you can relate to it more redolent. If, if somebody breaks up with you and then they don't date anybody for a period of six months to a year, that makes you feel better. It's like, oh, okay. They just jump to somebody else and rebound. But if like they ditch you one day and then the next weekend they show up with a new girl or a new guy, that's a little bit tougher, isn't it? Why? Because they just traded you in, man. They exchanged you for somebody else. Sad thing is, even in marriages, you sort of see that, the, sort of, the serial monogamy. I remember flying on a plane once, and I was talking to a guy many years ago, and he was talking to me about his wife, and she says, yeah, she's not bad for my first wife. And I'm thinking, What? What are you planning on? And so you like exchange for one, for another, for another. But with God, the same thing happens. We're going down a path. We love him. We have a passion to know God. And it's so easy to let the cares of the world and the rightful needs and the stress and other kinds of responsibilities that build up around us, come around us. And, and before we know it, we've, we've sort of not just ignored God. We've, we've begun to take our hearts and pursue something that's an exchange for what he is. And the subject of money can be front and center with this. I titled today Crazy Generosity. And the reason I've titled it Crazy Generosity because I don't know how you approach and understand and think about money, but I've been on a lifelong journey with this, and I still am. I remember as a young Pastor, preacher, I was scared to death to stand up in front of a group of people and talk about money because I thought, oh, well, there they go. We just reinforce their attitude. All the church talks about is money. But you know what I discovered pretty early on in my journey with Jesus? Is that uh, Jesus was right. Jesus is right. You can't serve two masters. And that the subject of money, our possessions, our material things in life, is so directly related to lordship issues and spiritual growth that I would be amiss if I backed away and I did not have that discussion with us on sometimes a regular basis. A.W. Tozer says this, the whole subject of the believer and his money is so involved and so intimate that one hesitates to even approach a consideration of it. Yet it is of such great importance that one who wishes to qualify as a servant of Christ dare not avoid it, lest they be found wanting in the day of reckoning. And I can say that's not only on a personal level for each one of us, but for those of us who steward God's word, that I would be found wanting on the day of reckoning if we did not talk straightforward about the subject matter of money. 
but it's really not money. Like we looked at last week briefly, the whole idea of money, sex, and power, it's like an iceberg. And so you see the waterline, and what's above the iceberg is what we identify, money, sex, power. But you got to go below the waterline because as the iceberg stretches out, it's the lower part that's jaded that when the ship like a Titanic comes across, it can rip the hull open. Because it's not necessarily about the money. Money is just money. It's just paper, right? It's a, it's a, a, a term of value, a paper. It can be a, a, a metal. It can be a, a Bitcoin now, whatever you may be. It's, it's just this idea that it's a tangible means of exchange. But it represents value. And so we place value on something, like if you were to pull out money, if you have a wallet or a purse today, that paper is probably valuable. And so if I said, hey, I got a bunch of Monopoly money, I'd be glad to trade you a few $100 bills of Monopoly money for all the money that's in your wallet. Would you do that? No, because the Monopoly money is it's not worth anything. Well, why is the paper that's in your wallet or purse worth something? Because somebody has attributed and said there's value to it. So the tip of the iceberg, we say, is money, but we're going to go below the waterline, and below the waterline has to do with the values of which we have. And then you keep going down to the base of the iceberg, and there can be other kinds of issues related to covetousness, uh, sin patterns, those kinds of things. So it's not the money tip of the iceberg, because it really is God's provisions are sacred gifts. One of the names for God is Jehovah Jireh. You know what that means? God our provider. And so God is our provider in the provisions he's given us. But the adversary, just like he did in the Garden of Eden, tries to turn it and twist it and get us to exchange the glory of the immortal God for images on printed bills or coins or valuable metal, whatever it may be. He's always trying to get you to exchange the worship of God for something else. And it's a battle that goes on and on and on, day in and day out of our life. And so when we sub, uh, focus on the subject of crazy generosity, it's really a, a sweet, encouraging, empowering, inspiring kind of study when you study about money and God's provisions. But you've got to be careful. Because we live in a very materialistic culture. Western culture has very much so been that way. And so we have to make sure that we're appropriately seeing it for what it is. Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of, the exchange of, the glory of God for something else. So what is below that waterline as we work with things moving forward? I want to encourage you to take your scriptures today and turn with me to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, we hear the Apostle Paul in a going away party meeting with some leaders from the church at Ephesus who'd come out to greet him. The Apostle Paul who traveled all the Mediterranean regions proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, starting churches, encouraging the believers and the saints, standing up for God. 
The Apostle Paul says this in verse 25 of Acts 20. Now I know that none of you, that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. It's a pretty heavy moment. Have you had those moments where you know this maybe the last time I'll see someone? Well, Paul's right there with that with these Christian leaders. He says, I know this moment here among whom I have ministered that this is the last time you will ever see me again. And then he steps into an exhortation to them that we'll pick up in verse 32. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, you, we must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as he embraced, as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. If you are in the last moments with somebody that you know you'll never see again, Those moments are going to be precious moments, not only of physical touch and exchange, but also in verbal exchange. In the passing on of of, of words of affirmation, words of exhortation. And so, in the latter part of this journey, in the latter season of Paul's missionary travels in the Mediterranean region, he's telling these Christian leaders... He's saying, you know, when it comes to my life, I have never coveted. I've never coveted what other people have or what you have and brought that into a difficult situation. But I have, you know, and he worked with his own hands. He was a a tent maker and other things. He focused on the gospel and was not a burden to other people. He supplied his own needs and the needs of his companions of those who traveled with him. But what did he say? He said, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. So he's focused on an exhortation at his departing. And he says, I'm now going to commit you finally, ultimately to God and to the word of grace. Now, what's the word of grace? The word of grace is the gospel of grace. The gospel is the good news. What John has, I mean, what Paul has given his life to here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm committing the gospel, the word of truth to you. Now, the gospel is that our salvation, the forgiveness of sins that we have, the hope that we have to have eternal life is not based upon good works, going to church, being a nice person for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
What Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins, being raised from the grave and ascended to the Father, coming again, that whole kingdom gospel story about King Jesus is what he's been stewarding and speaking to everybody about. And he's now saying, I am going to commit you to God and to the, the word of grace, the gospel of grace. This gospel of grace that saved you is what I want you to take with you and use not only in spreading the gospel to other people, but for you to grow in spiritually. You see, a lot of times we think of the gospel of God's grace as just necessary for our salvation. Yeah, I need to be saved. I want to have the hope of heaven. I want to be able to have a full life here on earth according to Scripture. And so I repent of my sins. I believe in Christ and who He is. He's Jesus, the Messiah, and come into my life. That's the gospel of grace, and it deals with the point of salvation. But we are very wrong if we think that the gospel of grace only deals with the point of salvation. He's committing them to the gospel of grace for the rest of their life as he's been committed to it because it's the gospel of grace that changes and transforms the way you and I live. It's the gospel of grace that keeps us from exchanging the glory of God for images made to look like you fill in the blank. The gospel of God's grace, the word of God's grace is potent and powerful, not only at that moment of salvation, but every morning you wake up for sanctification, which is being transformed into the Christ likeness every day. And we need to embrace the gospel of grace. And we need to embrace the gospel of grace as it relates to the subject matter we're on in these days in this series. So it's sort of surprising, is it not, that he would say that as one of the last words? He says, I'm going to commit you to God and to the gospel of grace. We're saved. We're good. We're good to go, Paul. We'll see you there in eternity. No, you need to be committed to the gospel of grace and how that gospel of grace works like a balm as a medicine or whatever you want to, into your life to change you. And then the second thing he says that's sort of shocking then is this. He's quoting Jesus. Now, this is one of the few places in Scripture where we have words of Jesus that were not recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's saying, in everything I did, I showed you the kind of hard work we must to help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord himself said. So Jesus said this. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've been on any journey, especially if you've been around church and been on that journey, you're like, oh, I've heard that before. Yeah, I got that. That's, that sounds so good. It sounds so, it's actually surprisingly not just simple, it's surprisingly deep being so simple. When you're departing from someone, you're not going to be talking about, hey, how do you think the Rams are going to end up this year in the NFL? You're not talking about, you know, hey, you know, I, I'd like to, head into town with my friends and eat at this restaurant tomorrow. You're in that moment and you're trying to impart some precious, most valuable words. And he says to them, I commit you to the gospel, God's word of grace, and remember, remember what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. He was very mindful of the underbelly of the challenge that it was living in his day as well as in our day to exchange God for something else, to be able to fall into a consumer mindset to get rather than to give. But here he was giving his life away as Jesus had given his life away. Let me state it this way. To the degree, the degree to which you understand and experience the gospel of grace will be the degree to which you live in a radically generous way toward God and others. He connects these two. He connects these two. The more you're overwhelmed and wowed by the grace of God and what He's done in your life, it'll have a direct correlation to you being one who wants to give rather than always get. See, a lot of times you find messages such as this or challenges such as this, the money talks like, you know, just got to try harder, do harder, that kind of thing. Well, I want to encourage you. There's a way to go. If you find yourself a little bit tight, a little bit overwhelmed and worried on that money front, then I want to encourage you. There's a path forward. And the path forward is to throw yourself back onto a fresh understanding of God and what he's done, what he's doing in your life, and understanding the grace and the power that's operated up there. And the more you understand that, the more it'll get you to focus on what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What's under the iceberg, the waterline of the iceberg? What are the things that you cling to? Jesus was mindful that we needed to be like him, who gave his life away. Luke 12, 15, Jesus himself said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Oh, it doesn't? It's not about just acquiring more and more and more or getting this or getting that or feeling secure with having this in my account, whatever it may be. No. Greed has a funny way of working at us. You know, greed's an interesting sin. Um, I mean, you can call it covetousness. That's really what it is. You don't hear people talk about covetousness uh, too much. So somebody brought it up in our rooted group this last week, and I thought that was pretty cool that you describe it that way. But um, it's this idea of greed, and greed... Um, greed, uh, it says in Colossians 3 uh, that we must, uh, you know, flee such things as sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires, and greed. And then there's this parenthesis in Colossians 3 where it says, and greed, and Paul says, which is idolatry, okay? And greed is idolatry not because you want the paper money and the big checking accounts and the savings accounts and portfolios for your investments. It's what that's pointing to that is the idolatry. Actually, money is not an idol. But money can point to idols in your life. You hear me with that? Money itself cannot the toxic idol, but it points towards things that um, can be idols. And by that, I, I would just challenge you, let's think through what do you effortlessly give money to in your life? 
Is there a whole subject matter? I remember early in my life, if you were walking into my garage, and I'm trying to think through how to rearrange my garage because there's transitions happening on different fronts, and, and there's a huge wall of black tubs, Costco tubs, with books in them. They've been there now for eight years. Because in my early years, I effortlessly bought books because I liked to read. I like to gain knowledge. I like to study and, and uh, uh, things of scripture or things, whatever. And so for me to buy a book, I don't even think about it necessarily if I want it. Thankfully, I've now transitioned, my wife says yes, to a Kindle electronic thing. So I, but it's, that's even worse for me. I'm like, wow, it's cheaper than if I actually bought the hard copy. So, so no problem. I'm just going to buy it. If you went on my Kindle, there's several books there. You would be impressed. Like, well, that guy's pretty broad reading. No, I haven't read a lot of them. I just liked them, and so I thought that's going to come in handy someday. I'm going to read that for such and such or for my own well-being. And so I effortlessly spend money on books I have. What do you effortlessly spend money on? If you like fashion, maybe it's no problem for you to go into a store and find some fashion items. Well, that's okay. There's nothing wrong in that kind of thing. But what we spend money on is pointing to values. What about the electronic devices that we all like to have and keep getting the upgrades and other kinds? I like to be on the current edge. I, we had dinner with somebody this week that had one of those folding Samsung phones. And I'm like, whoa. I might have to switch from Apple to get a Samsung because I like how that screen just sort of folds and you got a little computer there kind of thing. And we walk into phone stores with a perfectly good working phone to do what? Buy another phone, right? Because we don't really think about it. It's, it's not wrong. I'm just saying it points to those things that are of importance to us. What do you effortlessly give to? You know, maybe it's a, a, something of status, maybe to, to buy a house in a particular neighborhood on a certain quality kind of level, then that could be pointing to your desire to be noticed or to be, have a certain status. So money in itself is not the idol, but money can point to those things which have become idols in our life. And what are those things that you effortlessly can give money to? And could it be that you are starting to exchange the glory of God for images made to look like you fill in the blank. And all of us, it would be wise for us to take stock of this because we all live in a materialistic culture. So I can just assume that all of us in this room and anybody watching online or hereafter, that we're in the same camp, that we need to be sensitive to this fact that it impacts us and sensitive to the fact that it is an issue that can come and deal with our heart. For Jesus said what? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Different interpretations of that, but it's just what I tried to unpack for you. Wherever your heart is, there your treasures flow. Sacred gift, God's provisions, or a toxic idol that's leading you to exchange and walk in a direction that ultimately will lead to darkness. There's two other passages I want us to look at. One's in Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, One person gives freely, 
One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And Proverbs is a general book of wisdom and knowledge, right? And so the writing of this is true. I want you to notice that word freely. It's also used in Psalm 112. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. That word freely, I want us to dial into, especially as it now relates to the subject of generosity. It's from a Hebrew word called pazor. And pazor being used of financial things is very uncommon in the Hebrew scriptures. Some of you uh, maybe know someone by the name of Nathan. Nathan comes from the word Nathan. And Nathan is usually used more than something like pazor. And so the English here is struggling to try to describe something that is better understood in the Hebrew kind of context. Nathan is where you take something from here and you now move it, you gift it, all right? It's taking a gift. You're taking a gift from here, you're moving it, and you're gifting it here, or you're placing it in another place. And normally when we think of the subject of generosity and where our treasures are flowing, and our treasures need to be flowing towards the heart of God and not to the heart of some selfish ends of an image of God, is we need to move the gift from here to here. But when it comes to generosity, in these two particular verses, it uses this word bizarre, which is uh, used in the sense of scattering. Just scatter it. Just throw it out there. And throw it out there generously. Here you go. Here you go. And it's usually not in the context of something good. It's actually usually in the context in Jeremiah and some other places where it's talking about people who, who give themselves away even sexually or something like that for, for uh, licentious reasons. They just sort of give it freely out there. But here in Proverbs and the psalmist, they're using the word to talk about generosity. And our generosity isn't just, okay, I'm going to... I'm gonna take my little gift from here and I'm, I'm going to move it over to here. It's talking about scattering it generously, broadly. And now as it relates back to this whole effortlessly thing, you know, I mentioned, you know, hey, I can sort of effortlessly buy a book or those kind of things. I want to think of some, maybe it's a Starbucks or whatever. You don't even think about those $5 drinks. Whoa, that's not me. And so I'm like, what do I uh, effortlessly give money to? And then what about this whole thing of do I effortlessly give money to God through his, his, his workings in the church or give money to the poor? Well, I have to be honest with you. I don't effortlessly, and I'm even the pastor of this church, give money to a church and give money to poor or the needy. I don't effortlessly do that. I'm like, okay, I'll take my gift here and I'm going to nathon it over, over here. Okay. But hey, man. Something like reading materials, other kinds of things. Woo! Effortlessly, freely. Yeah, I just whatever. Indicating where my heart is, where my treasures are flowing. And so if you want to move, and this doesn't have, I'm not talking about being stingy. 
I, I can get that word from my family members at times too. This is not an issue of stinginess. This is an issue of covetousness and greed. And Jesus spoke about it. Paul spoke about it. We're exhorted in the scripture we're looking at today that you need to be mindful because this greed thing, this is a tyrant. And the tyrant will always be at you, especially in our culture. More, more, more is better kind of thing, right? The acquisition of this, and maybe it's keeping up with this person or that person, but a lot of times we just like, we like to have resources. And sometimes, you know, this whole thing of effortlessly, some people, they don't spend the money, they save the money. But let me ask you this, if you're saving money and you're keeping it away, could it be that you're trying to make sure there's so much resource in your life that you're able to withstand anything that can happen to you? It could be a control factor, a control factor of saying, I don't care. Maybe there's a recession, maybe a pandemic, maybe I'll lose my job, maybe there's health issues. I am so prepared that nothing's going to shake me and my family. Now, what I'm saying by this is not that you shouldn't be someone who's stewarding well and have a savings plan and all that kind of thing. Or, or, uh, that's not where I'm going with this. What I'm going is what's below the waterline. What is it that money... The accumulation of it, the spending of it? What is it that it's pointing to that could be a sin? And greed, greed is not an easy sin to identify. Have you noticed this? Like, if you're living in adultery, you know if you're with someone who's not your spouse. But with greed, greed's very subtle. I don't have a lot of people, you know, when I sometimes counsel and interact with people, they'll confess different kinds. I don't have a lot of people. I don't even know if I've had any that come and say, Pastor, I just spend too much on myself. I am a greedy person. Greed is so subtle. It's hard to measure that. So what I'm trying to push is where your treasure is, there's your heart follows. And, and, and so it's indicating what could be idols or something that you're exchanging for the glory of God. And then when it comes to this generosity thing, you're attaching the gospel of God's grace and all that he's done for you to be able to be one who's not, it's not an issue of stinginess, it's an issue of covetousness and greed, that you're not one who freely scatters. And because you don't freely scatter, you don't have the ability to gather. There is a scattering and a gathering kind of component that goes back and forth that's with all this when it comes to the subject of crazy generosity. I want to give you four words. Amount, attitude, award, and atonement. Let me talk a little bit about the amount. Well, Carrie, what are you really saying today? Are you going somewhere? You betcha I'm going somewhere. So hang with me, and it's not bad because it's freeing in your life. The amount in Scripture of this scattering, of this broadly giving away, can be seen in some different categories. The historical biblical standard for giving is the word tithe, which is 10%. 10% of your income, what you make, 
10% of resources that come to you. And, and those can be in very kind of ways. So the tithe was, was clear and straightforward in the Old Testament scriptures. And in the New Testament, Jesus, the only, uh, there's only a couple times that he mentions the tithe, but he never disbanded the idea of a tithe. He actually affirmed it by not disbanding it. He was talking about people's hearts and what they're really at underneath with the tithe. And they think, well, if I tithe, I'm all good. Well, no, you can still have a corrupt and deceivious heart even if you tithe. So it's not a legalistic thing. And New Testament actually goes way beyond the tithe, and I won't have time and interest necessarily today in going there. But there's the tithe, which was a biblical amount of scattering, all right? But then there was the idea of sacrifice, you were sitting in a building where people went beyond their tithe and they sacrificed for us to buy this building a couple years ago. And well, the denomination owns a building and we pay them now, but it's that journey of, hey, we don't just lease the place, we own it. And why did that happen? Because people gave sacrificially for not just a place of worship, but community outreach, like doing a trunk or treat or whatever God has for us in our future as we continue to be outward focused. And so sacrifice is another tier of giving beyond the tithe giving. But then there's this other word, shocking, shocking, bizarre. I'm just going to freely, freely give. So much show, so that if you were sitting in an economics class and they understood what you're doing, they'd just look at you, you're crazy. You go and file your taxes and the guy goes, what? That's nuts. You're just crazy being that generous. Scripture says if you were to turn your heart that's leaning towards greed and covetousness, even control, to one that's the heart of Christ who gave everything, then you have to turn and understand that generosity is something you freely give. Well, I'm stingy. I've got needs. I've got problems. You see my bills? I've got a lot of installment payments that have to be covered. Hey, I understand. Same camp. We can go there. We can talk about budgeting. We can talk about living simply. But you know what I've discovered with this whole subject matter of greed and covetousness and the tendency to move back? I have to start with the whole heart of generosity because I'll never, ever be at a place that I effortlessly give generously to needs. I trust someday, but it's not there now in my life. The tithe, the sacrifice, something shocking, the amount. What about the attitude? The attitude, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, parallels those, that passage in Proverbs and Psalms. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. That's so key. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving all because God loves, I like the term here, this is in um, the Passion Translation, God loves, not it's cheerful giver, another translation, God loves a hilarious giver. Someone that is shocking with their generosity in giving. The award, this is where I want to focus on this. Mark 8, 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. There's something 
that is upside down with this thinking that I'm pitching to you. And the upside down thinking is actually kingdom thinking. Jesus is the one who said this. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to keep all your kids and make sure they're okay and try to control them, you will lose them. Scripture says that when I am weak, that I am strong. What does that mean? Well, in my weakness and my brokenness, I gain strength from God and emotionally in other ways that I could never gain if there was smooth sailing all the way. This whole idea that up is down and down is up sometimes is confusing to us with Scripture. But when it comes to this thing of generosity, the idea of freely scattering helps you to gather. Helps you to gather. And that gathering is not maybe as you and I might think of it. If you sow, then you will reap. That's very clear in Scripture. But what will you reap? You see, this is where the prosperity gospel can come in and wrongly teach you that you give generously financially, you will be blessed financially. Well, that may be true at times. And it may be true for some of you here this morning. And that's your testimony. And that's great. But Scripture does not guarantee that. The whole idea of prosperity gospel, you just got to give and you shovel it that way and God's going to shovel back bigger. That is true, but what is it that we're being shoveled back? What are some of the greatest riches that we can gain? This goes back to being committed, to commend you to the gospel, to the work of grace. Because the work of grace changes people's lives. And when you give scattered broadly, and freely, you are scattering to reap a reward, a, a harvest that comes back. And that harvest is going to come back sometimes and change lives, sometimes in greater peace in your life, so you're not a stingy person or controlled by you know, the stock market up and downs or whatever may happen. You have been set free. The riches you receive by scattering with a generous, crazy generosity are real. But they may not be in some of the dimensions that you want. I've always said that as I grow older, I don't want to become a jaded person. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes people in our older years, now that I turn 60, I guess I can start to fill in that category. They're cantankerous. And I find myself cantankerous some days. And I find myself uptight some days. But I'm like, Lord, may your grace work in my life that as I get older, I'm more of a blessing to be around and more grace-filled. God's working in your pastor's life. How about in your life? What trajectory are you on? Oh, you wouldn't call it hoarding. You wouldn't call it greed. You wouldn't call it covetousness. But there's something that's protecting and something that you're exchanging going in other directions that God said, don't go there. Reap. Reap what you sow. Coming from an ag background, you would plant a lot of seeds. To plant a lot of seed, you would want to get back something. But what you got back wasn't more seed. A lot of times you'd get back food, right? So when you sow generously, pazar, crazy, you're going to reap a harvest back. And that harvest can be in different kinds of things. So amount, attitude, award. I want to then close by just talking here about this atonement. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, 
how will he not also along with him graciously give to us all things? Jesus, Messiah, name above all names. In the very heart of God is a hilarious, crazy spirit of generosity. Think how rich Jesus was, the Son of God in heaven. He gave that up so that you and I may have the word of grace, the gospel of grace, the work of grace, not only for our salvation, but for our transformation every day. The gospel continues on, and it's seen in the life of Jesus, who is obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. That whole atonement of Christ dying for our sins on the cross and being raised from the grave, ascending to the right hand of the Father, do you know the one thing Jesus did not have in heaven? He didn't have us. He didn't have us, but through His atonement, through His generosity, through His generosity of salvation, He has gained and is gaining more and more every day a church, an assembly, a family of people who are followers of Him that He will live with in eternity. And our riches are found in Him in the same way. If someone gave up their life, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends, Jesus said. Jesus gave of Himself His very life. And I tell you what, if someone sees me so highly treasured that He would give me His life, that helps me an awful lot in being generous with my treasure to give to Him. So the work of grace in my life is directly connected. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The more I understand of Christ's work, the more my heart of generosity flows. The more I climb into the bosom of knowing Him and His love for me, His mercies, new every morning, that it would make very much sense for me to be generous in what I give. And you have every right. I'm sorry to go there, but if you don't have a great spirit of generosity, you have reason to question whether you really understand God's grace and what He's done in your life. The more you understand His grace, the more generosity flows. The scattering, the gathering, it's a dynamic. When you give, you will receive. It's upside-down thinking from our world. Let's save, let's protect, let's go after that, let's do this. Those are toxic idols. You've been given the sacred gifts of Jesus Himself through His work on the cross and the sacred gift of His provisions every morning. And because of that, you and I should have crazy generosity, one with another, and foremostly with God. I told you I was going somewhere. In your seat backs, I want you to pull out what I call a generosity challenge. You know, they tell you when you preach or you share your heart, there's two things you need to do. You need to answer two questions. 
what I want them to know and what I want them to do. And I had to ask myself these two questions. What God wants me to know is that my effortless spirit of generosity is directly connected to understanding his bountiful gift of grace and mercy, the treasure he's given me to let my treasure flow. That's what I want you to know. But what I want you to do is to act with a step of generosity. That sounds crazy to some of you. Some of you may already practice this, but we step into October this week. That's amazing to me. October, November, December. We have three months, 90 days. I want to give you a challenge of something to do for the next 90 days. Sometimes it's not where you sit around and wait till you feel like doing something. You ever done that working out? Yep. But after you work out, you're sore, but what? I feel good. I'm glad I did that. Some times you don't sit around and wait until you feel something. You have to do right, and then you feel good later. I believe crazy generosity is one of those things. And this statement here just simply says, with a heart of generosity, I commit my ties to God and his work through the local church for the next 90 days, a remainder of 2021. The tithe is the first 10% of my total income. This is a faith commitment between God and me alone. A lot of reasons I could give explanation on this, I won't. The tithe, 10%, first fruits, off the top. What do you make? Weekly check? Twice a month? You can take it monthly, whatever you want. What is that sum? 10%, give it to God. Bizarre. And see what God will do because it says this in the verse that's listed there at the top in Malachi 3.10. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you will not have room enough for it. What's the blessing? You scatter, you gather. The blessing is on all different kinds of means. Maybe the blessing is for you to be freed of the tyrant and the stranglehold of materialism, greed, and covetousness in your life. That's not something you want to admit or I would want to admit, but it has a subtle way of working. You tithe, you give generously, you give shockingly, it kills the tyrant. It's weird. I set up regular giving for our tithing, and I tell you what, every time it goes through, I'm a little bit, oh, oh, I forgot. Yeah, it goes through on the 22nd of the month. But immediately on the heels of that, I say, praise be to God and all that he's done to me in the work. I am going to walk this road of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Will you consider doing that? I list two different ones for you. The reason I have you list your name and email and sign it is because it's that there's just something about making that commitment. I'm going to have you turn it in and the offering basket's going to be passed here in a little bit. If you feel so led here this morning, if you feel so led online, you could, you know, just simply um, text a response um, through the email to the church on our website. But I want I want you to seriously think about this. And the reason that we would receive it is not that we're going to post them everywhere. No. They'll be kept in private, probably in a stack. I don't even know if I would go through the names of them. But I want to pray for you, and I want us to pray for one another.
Because this is a huge, huge step for many of us. Let's just see what God does. I saw one person do this one time as a pastor, and he gave the money back guarantee that after three months, if you didn't see there, there was a reward or riches, he'd give you their money back. I'm glad to do that. That's what's needed. Money back guarantee. I want you to jump in and be challenged to trust God with a tithe. And if you're tithing, maybe it's a sacrificial gift. And maybe it's, whether it's to the church or some other kinds of, of need place that's going to do God's ministry, know this, that you are with peers and we're doing this together for these three months. And I want to pray for you. Tear the lower part off, keep that, place it somewhere uh, by your bathroom vanity or whatever, and just continue to pray and trust God in it. Will you do that for me? Let me pray for you this morning. And after that, we'll receive the offering. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your teaching in our life. Though you are not with us in physical form, you're here with us through your spirit and through your word. Jesus, you said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, help us to walk that out with a, with a, uh, a shocking, uh, crazy generosity in our life, that we would be a people who gave freely out of our life to you and your work and your church and to your, the needs of people. May we not fall prey to the toxins to the toxins of greed and covetousness that money represents at times. Lord, may we find our true treasure in you for all that you've done for us, and may we then let our treasures flow in the direction of your will and your guidance. In your name we pray. Amen. Take a moment to fill that out. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would um, take their places to just come quickly as we close to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. I'm mindful in this series that we're in that there is meddling in each of these three. But I want you to know that my heart is for freedom and love and spiritual growth in your life. Just come right now and receive the offering if you want to just uh, set up um, your gift through online giving or if you want to set up that regular giving, which is what I mentioned that happens in my household, uh, you can do that by typing uh, the word awakening to the number 77977. You can give a one-time gift. You can give a reoccurring gift. But uh, do that and see what God does in the coming three months, the coming 90 days of your life as we take opportunity to look at this. And thanks um, again for coming today. Uh, I hesitated sometimes to put the subject out there on Facebook and, and an email saying what we were speaking on because I thought that's definitely going to end up being a low attendance Sunday kind of thing. So I don't know if maybe that was it or weather today or that kind of thing, but I'm glad that you're here. I want to encourage you on your way out to grab one of the postcards, continue to invite people on this journey. If this is your first time here, we're glad to have you here. I like to greet people at the door on your way out, but uh, you are good to go. So stand with me. I'll give you a blessing. And now to him who is able to give immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his work at the church and throughout through Christ Jesus. May his power and strength go with you as you live for him and worship the one who made you, who saved you, and has plans for you. And may you not exchange that for the glory of anything else. God bless.